The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, good morning, everyone, on the West Coast, 11 a.m., And good morning, everyone, on the East Coast, which is 2 p.m. And we have a great show for you today. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on voiceamerica.com. And you can give us a call at 866-472-5787 if you're listening live on May 10th between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and 11 and noon p.m. Pacific. Today we're talking to a woman who's a novelist and an attorney. My guest is Christine Whitehead. She is a graduate of Smith College and the University of Connecticut Law School. She has written a book, which is very interesting. It's called Tell Me When It's Hurt. When it, Tell Me When It Hurts. And it is a novel. She lives on a farm in the Hartford, Connecticut area with her dogs and horses and practices divorce law in Hartford. This is her first book, and it weaves together the lives of two damaged achievers, Archer, who has lost her daughter to a violent assault, and Connor, who has lost his daughter through passive neglect, each working through loss, despair, and ultimately redemption. A terrific story. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are you there? I am here. Oh, good. I couldn't hear you too well. (laughs) No, I'm here, definitely. Yeah, just speak up a little bit if you can. Okay. You know, I, um, I was reading your bio, and I always wonder when I read these novels, you know, if how close they are to home, how close they are to your personal experience, and you haven't lost a child, thank God, but you certainly have had some, you know, some trauma in your life that has spoken to some of this. How do the two relate? Um, well, I lost my parents when I was very young. I was only seven, and my parents died of totally unrelated causes, so that's certainly coincidental, but um, unusual. And after that happened, there was a quite uh, bitter custody fight between my grandparents who were on my mother's side of the family and my aunts who were on my father's side of the family. Um, and there was a big trial, and I remember it fairly well. And we, uh, the judge decided we should go with my aunts to Connecticut. And we knew my aunts far less well than we knew my grandparents. And that sort of started the, um, the cycle of pain. And fortunately for me, it was... Um, you know, my aunts were not abusive, but it was a, a household where nothing was discussed and um, you just had to adjust and go with the flow. And so it, it all stayed with me in terms of not really understanding, figuring how to adjust to this household. Mm. So you really weren't understood as a child. And it sounds like, you know, having the different, different homes um, was difficult in terms of feeling secure. 
it was definitely difficult, and my uncle had a drinking problem, which uh, made him, he was very loving, but he was very unreliable in that sense, and so I was seven years old, and I didn't really know how to make a lot of sense of this, and so you cobble together as a kid um, some coping mechanisms, and some aren't good, and, and some are good. So when did you start writing? Did you write as a child kind of as release, or did you write more as an adult? I wrote as a child always. I was always writing a story, a newspaper column. Um, I wrote throughout college. And then as a lawyer, you tend to write real things, but you're always writing. And, um, and then I started writing the novel when... I couldn't find something I really wanted to read, and I said, well, I've got this idea rattling around my head about loss and coping with it, and I sat down and started writing the novel. Mm-hmm. And you have a love for horses, and horses are very much part of this book. Talk about that. Um, I've always loved horses, ever since I was little. It was really a constant for me, although I didn't really get into horses as passionately and as heavily as I uh, did until after I was divorced. I was 30, 33 or 34. And in the book, the horse theme is extremely uh, important. Uh, one of the horses, the, uh, the main character, Harcher, her daughter had a horse named Allegra. And mm-hmm. Allegra really, in my opinion, is the glue that sort of holds the story together. Her um, Archer's uh, being in limbo parallels the horse being in limbo, and it's mm. only when she comes to terms with her own guilt, her own uh, loss, and she goes to retrieve the horse that she really is able to heal. And I think it's so important, people's connection with animals who are uh, unconditionally accepting. Mm. And Yeah, it always reminds dog. me of the horse whisperer. Yeah, it does. There's a definite element of that in here in terms of the healing aspect the uh, unconditionality to the love. Um, When Archer leaves her husband, the only thing she really takes is her dog, who Mm. is her companion. The other part of the story that I thought was compelling is, you know, when you look at two people who have had losses, I mean, you look at Archer, who's lost her daughter through this violent assault, which is, you know, it's hard to imagine that. And then Connor, this gentleman that she meets, um, you know, who's a Harvard-educated financial baron, and he turned a sheep rancher, kind of like her, and kind of stumbles into her life. And he loses his daughter also, but more from neglect. How they to connect with each other? Do you think they connect because of the loss or in spite of the loss? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think that they connect initially uh, as two loners who mm-hmm. are you know, feeling their way through the woods, literally. And then I think Archer points out to him that, you know, he's letting a big opportunity go for himself as well as for his daughter, but for himself by not being present in her life. And I think it helps her explain to him that she lost her daughter through violence. He has a second chance here. He has a chance to reconnect. And I think once they've already connected, that deepens the connection, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a real understanding about what's been lost and what's possible as a second mm-hmm. chance for him. Do you think that's the message here, the message in the book? Definitely. I, I, I think the real message is of hope, 
of you can have a second chance if you decide you're going to try to, and that out of the ashes you can still create something that's meaningful, mm-hmm. that's a um, respect to the person you've lost and that you've learned from it. And mm-hmm. I think Archer really wanted to die at the beginning of the book. She wasn't going to kill herself, but she also didn't mind if she died. But by the end of the book, she wants to live. She wants to honor Annie's memory. She wants to live. Yeah. Tell me, um, where did you get that theme from in terms of the daughter violently dying? I mean, obviously this didn't happen in your life. The only parallel I make is that your parents died. Right. The way I I used that, and I really needed it to be off camera because it it's too painful to um, develop for me to develop characters and then lose them that way. And I wanted the pain for Archer to be something anyone could understand that was deep enough that anyone could understand it. Mm-hmm. Connor had choices; he could reconnect with Lauren. Um, he was just benignly not tending to that. It was not a con- connections weren't his thing. Whereas with Archer, the loss was so intense that I think any any parent certainly, but even if you're not a parent, you really can feel that that loss uh, it shakes your foundation. And it needed to be deep enough that you could see her evolve. You could understand. You, I mean, most of us don't become vigilantes and seek revenge. Um, but I think most of us can understand those feelings if yeah. it's that based on that intense a situation. And I think, you know, most people, when I speak at women's book clubs or libraries, you know, people ask me sometimes about the vigilante aspect. And when I talk to them about it and suggest that everyone can understand those feelings, they all nod because they wouldn't choose to do that. They're going to let the rule of justice control, but most of them say, I totally can understand. If my daughter were were raped and murdered, I wouldn't care what the cost, and if the person got off, I would go after them. Mm. And so I think... I yeah, really and I think what I'd like to do in the next segment, because we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes, okay. but I think in the next segment, I want to talk about your work as a divorce attorney, because, you know, there are pieces of this that you see in there. You obviously, you know, are dealing with a lot of anger and yes. bitterness and fear and rage, and, you know, because it's a loss. It's a loss yeah. just like, you know, losing a child. Yeah. And sometimes it can almost feel as great. So I'd, I'd really like to chat with you when we come back about that and how you help people through your own losses and through the novel, how you help your own clients, you know, deal with their divorces. Christine, how can people get your book? Uh, it's available at Amazon.com just plugging in, tell me when it hurts, and it'll come up and they can order it directly from there. How did you come up with the title, Tell Me When It Hurts? Uh, You know, it's funny. It came to me almost like a flash. And basically, I wanted to express that we all have different limits of pain. And some people can take a lot. Some people can take different kinds of pain. And it was trying to express that, you know, when you reach that limit, you have to take some steps. And so the title, Tell Me When It Hurts, was Archer Reached Her Threshold of Pain, Connor Reached His, Uh, Adam Dealt With It in His Own Way, he he was her her former husband. And just all of us have this capacity 
But at some point, you have to say, it's too much for me. I need to do something. I need to take steps, and only I can do it. Yeah, yeah. And so that that's where it comes from. But you also deal with the pain in the book, which is, you know, which really I think is healing for people. There's a lot of pain in the book, but I think it's primarily hopeful in terms of exploring, does drinking help you? Does a support group help you? Does... um, uh, revenge help you, and ultimately we see these, I always say she's reconnecting the dots of her life, and she starts reconnecting with her sister, with her former husband, with her career, with her animals, and she starts redrawing these lines in her life to rebuild. Mm-hmm. All right. Powerful, and I think that's really, again, the book is of hope, and it, it is all about hope, and it's about making our dreams come true, you know, through the adversity. My guest is Christine Whitehead. Her novel is Tell Me When It Hurts. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really uh, an interesting novel. Everything changes when this woman's only child is murdered and the killer goes free on a technicality. Archer, the woman, ditches her family, career, friends, and horses to define her own agenda and brush, brush up on her leasehold skills. Aided by a shadowy vigilante group, Archer implements private justice. At her lowest web, Connor McCall, a Harvard-educated financial baron turned Wyoming sheep rancher, stumbles into her life and everything changes. Christine Whitehead is a graduate of Smith College, University of Connecticut Law School. She lives on a farm in the Hartford, Connecticut area with her dogs and horses and practices divorce law in Hartford. And when we come back, we're going to talk about being a divorce lawyer and how this all applies. You're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to get freed up? Join Dr. Jennifer Freed, one of America's leading psychological thinkers, for a groundbreaking program with fascinating guests and full participation from you. Freed Up will explore topics like liberation in long-term relationships, parenting in the 21st century, comfort in stressful times, and much more. Tune in to Freed Up every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and wake up to the heartbeat of your life. Wielding power, shaping environments and outcomes, and making things happen are all essential characteristics of great leaders. Yet these qualities alone are not enough to ensure your success. In a complex world, how do you decide what's most important to you? In your career, your relationships, your finances, your family, in the world around you, in the whole of your life at large. Dr. Joseph Riggio, the host of Leadership Intuition, says that personal leadership, the desire to take charge of your life, is the key to creating futures that work and building a life worth living. Join Joseph as he reveals the power of uncovering and living your own personal mythology, the key to personal transformation, exquisite performance, and social influence. Learn to look inside and discover your personal mythology and unique leadership styles. Go beyond conventional advice and discover your unique success blueprint on Leadership Intuitions with Dr. Joseph Riggio each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Leadership Intuitions, power, achievement, relationships. 
If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on VoiceAmerica.com. We have a very um, compelling story for you today. My guest is Christine Whitehead, who is a divorce attorney in Hartford, Connecticut, and she has become a novelist. She's written her first novel. She is in practice in Hartford, and she has written a book called Tell Me When It Hurts. Archer Lowe, Ivy League grad and Olympic-level writer, has been groomed as a government assassin. First in her class, she's a prime asset to her agency. However, she rejects the opportunity to kill for the good guys and instead embraces the quiet life of a suburban lawyer, wife, and mother. Her violent apprenticeship remains her secret, but everything changes when her only child is murdered and the killer goes free on a technicality. She ditches her family and career and friends and horses to define her own agency and to brush up on her lethal skills. Aided by her shadowy vigilante group, she implements private justice. At her lowest ebb, Connor McCall, a Harvard-educated financial baron turned Wyoming sheep rancher, stumbles into her life and everything changes again. And it's really, um, it's an amazing story. It weaves together the lives of two damaged achievers, one who's lost her daughter to a violent assault and the other who's lost his daughter through passive neglect. And it works through loss, despair, and ultimately, really, redemption and hope. Welcome back. Thank you. All right. Has this become a movie yet? You know, uh Two of the women in the last book club I went to said this, I could see it as a movie because you have the Berkshires and you have Wyoming, and they said they'd, they'd like seeing it as a movie. So who knows? Yes, that would be wonderful. Let's talk about your work as a divorce attorney. How does that tie into all of this? I mean, you see anger. You see people who are bitter and want revenge. And I'm sure you also see people who are hurt and crushed and just want some love and are scared. I do, and it the, it fits in actually very, um, it's very parallel because people who come to me, for the most part, uh, are very, they're really frightened. They're really threatened. Sure. They're very scared of the losses ahead of them, whether it's money or their family or their children or their house, and it's really a matter of trying to look for a new path, a new, you know, they see everything is behind them. And they're looking for a new way to reinvent themselves a little bit, but find a new a new uh, way to live. And it's it's pretty refreshing to see them go through it and emerge on the other side with new hopes. Mm-hmm. So, what do you do when you see someone? And uh, this is an interesting question. You know, you have a client who's really out for blood. I mean, really revengeful and angry. How do you handle that? Um, I usually try to see, first of all, if they're willing to go into some kind of counseling because uh, it's really counterproductive. I have this book I give out to everyone who has children who comes to see me called How to 
how to not have the divorce from hell and dance with your spouse at your daughter's wedding or something yes. like that. Yes. And it really, um, I really try to get them to refocus um, and point out how much judges really don't like that. They really don't respect that. They really don't, that doesn't resonate with a judge. Mm. And if the person still wants to go that route, Sometimes I do suggest they go to someone else because there are lawyers, unfortunately, who they they like that agenda. They like <laughs> they like that uh, uh, just going after someone to go after them, and I don't. And so I usually try to talk them out of it, pointing out that it's not good for them. It's not good, certainly, for their children. It's not, if nothing else, it's not good for their court case because a judge recognizes that and doesn't doesn't like it because the court tries to make sure the kids will be as good as can be in the midst of a divorce. And so I really try to dissuade them from that strategy mm-hmm. uh, for all of those reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, very important. So what um, if somebody's listening to this and going through a divorce or may go through it, what advice would you give them, Christine? Um, I think that they need to sit back and take a breath before making major decisions, whether it's about their kids, whether it's about moving, whether it's about um, quitting a job, taking a job, and take stock of uh, where they are and where they'd like to be. I think counseling is always helpful if, um, if they're at an impasse, if they don't know whether to go forward or backward or um, you know, stay where they are. I think it's always helpful to, to speak to a counselor. And I think what they need is to find a lawyer who is compatible with their goals. If they really are invested in getting revenge and seeing that their husband or wife uh, can't take a move without being pulled back into court, well, I don't respect that agenda, but you're allowed to have your agenda. They should find a lawyer who has those goals. If they want to get this done with some dignity, not spend um, their whole college fund for their children. Which can happen very easily. Oh, my gosh, it can happen. Um, It can happen really easily if you decide to go that route. Then they should find a lawyer who wants to expedite this, be reasonable, knows the parameters that are a reasonable settlement, and try to get them there with as little pain uh, and controversy as possible. And there's always going to be controversy, but it's a matter of how the lawyers and the parties handle it. And mm-hmm. and I think, you know, read some, get some idea. But I think while it's a cliche, the focus has to be on maintaining stability mm-hmm. and not a lot of acrimony for Do your you children. Do you find that the divorces are tougher when there are no children? Um, that they're kinder when they were children because of the kids or not necessarily? Not necessarily. Some are. Some people really do want their children to prosper and be as little disadvantaged as possible as a result of their parents' divorce. But some people, um, the children are the prime fighting grounds because it's the one legitimate area where they can intrude and they can be um, disruptive. And that's very sad. That is yeah. very sad to see. And it really can hurt the children. Oh, oh. I just saw, I represent a lot of children as well who are in the middle of custody fights, and I saw a little fella yesterday who was five years old, and he sadly mm. said to me, we are getting a divorce. And it was, so, it was like we, the family, are being divorced. And it was so sad, and it mm. just pervaded his, his demeanor, um, 
and he's five years old. You know, he doesn't know what's ahead. He's, mm-hmm. you know, sees that his parents don't like each other anymore, and it's extremely jarring for kids. And the teenagers, they may adjust better to the logistics, but they can be really angry, and they're going to judge who was right and who was wrong and be angry at mm-hmm. one of his, one of their parents, which isn't productive. Do you think way. people should try to stay together at all costs, or do you think that if it's really not right, they shouldn't? I think if the marriage is not acrimoniously bad, I think it's better for children to try to get through the high school years with the family intact. I think if it's acrimonious and belittling and disrespectful and uh, volatile, I think the children are better if they go forward with the divorce and the, the kids have two relatively peaceful households. But I think, you know, a bad marriage to the parents isn't necessarily a bad marriage to kids. And so I do think there is some some merit to staying together if it's not a destructive relationship. The parents may not be as happy, but your children will have a much easier adjustment time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we have a couple of minutes to break, and when we come back, I want to talk more about your novel, Tell Me When It Hurts. Um, where would you say in your life horses have come in to help you and heal you, and where was that healing element in the book, in the novel, Tell Me When It Hurts? The, probably the, the biggest area and time in which horses really played a healing uh, part in my life was right after I was divorced. I took up riding again. I hadn't ridden since college, and I began playing polo inter-clubs, inter, inter, inter I guess, and it was almost like my home away from home for about 10 years. And it really helped me recover. It kept me busy. I was with people. I loved the horses. I loved um, the total uh, immersion into that that hobby, that team sport. And it really helped me recover, get on my feet, feel feel good about myself. And I think for Archer, she had gotten some of her self-esteem when she was young, being on the alternate to the Olympic team as an equestrian, ridden, ridden in Madison Square Garden in the final trials, um, and she felt good about herself. And then when her marriage, her family, her, her loss of her daughter, everything fell apart, she left that behind. It was like, I, I don't deserve to have anything um, enjoyable in my life anymore. And then when she started coming back to life and started reconnecting and started feeling like maybe I do have something to offer the world still, she connected with Connor's uh, farm horse, ranch horse, and began feeling like I'm coming alive again. I This was an important part of me I'm reconnecting to. And that led to other reconnections for her. And when she finally makes peace with Annie's horse, whom she abandoned and left in limbo like herself, the the healing was, I wouldn't say it was complete, but it was certainly a connection that was vital to her going on. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, no, no, we're going to take a break. My guest is Christine Whitehead. Her novel, her new novel is Tell Me When It Hurts. Christine is a graduate of Smith College and University of Connecticut Law School. She lives on a farm in the Hartford, Connecticut area with her dogs and horses and practices divorce law in Hartford. This is her first novel, and it's a really wonderful book, and uh, it's filled with, with suspense but also with hope. 
and that's what's so important. All right, folks, you're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com do you know that over 70 percent of americans with severe disabilities are unemployed are you one of the 2.5 million americans with epilepsy if you are or know someone struggling with these issues tune in to disability matters with joyce bender on the show joyce will discuss these issues as well as others she will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you the listener call in with your questions and concerns so if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does listen to disability matters with joyce bender heard every tuesday at 11 a.m pacific time here on voiceamerica.com Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. My guest is Christine Whitehead, and her brand-new novel is Tell Me When It Hurts. And it's a novel about Archer Lowe, an Ivy League grad and Olympic-level writer, and she's been groomed as a government assassin. First in her class, she's a prime asset to her agency, but she rejects the opportunity to kill for the good guys, and she embraces the quiet life of the suburban lawyer and the wife and the mother. And so this violent apprenticeship really remains her secret until everything changes when her only child is murdered and the killer goes free on a technicality. Archer ditches the family, career, friends, and horses to define her own agenda and brush up on her own lethal skills. She's aided by a shadowy, vigilante group, and she decides to implement her own private justice. At her lowest ebb, Connor McCall, who is a Harvard-educated financial baron who turns a sheep rancher, stumbles into her life and everything does change. But this is an amazing story, and it's a story in which both 
um, both of these people who've lost children, one through a violent assault and one through passive neglect, work through their own loss, despair, but ultimately redemption and hope. So welcome, Chris, and tell us about the hope part of the novel. Um, I think that most people think it's going to be a sad book when they hear that uh, the the initial event that gets the action going is the death of a child. But we enter after that has happened, which doesn't make it less sad, but you don't quite feel the intensity as much as if you lived with uh, the child during the book. And ultimately, it's a very hopeful book. The banter that develops and the relationship that develops between Archer and Connor is very hopeful. It's very upbeat. Um, they develop a very love, lovely uh, compatibility and joking uh, relationships so that while there's some sad moments, there's also some very moving moments. There's a lot of triumph. Um, mm. There's a lot of emphasis on moving from isolation to inclusiveness, and both of them do that for different reasons. So they bring each other sort of out of isolation into a connected circle uh, through their animals, through their own uh, relationship through their families, and it's um, it really. And what happens at the end, or can you tell us? Because it's part of the book between them. I can tell. I can tell you that it's a happy ending, and that there's a sense of completeness. And mm. most people seem to like that. There's a forgiveness. There's an acceptance of things that are beyond your control, and there's a definite sense of a new beginning uh, for both of the main characters. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, do you think that in writing this, it helped to heal some of your old wounds of, you know, losing your own parents and having some difficulties in, in growing up? I, I do. I, I, I found that it was cathartic for me to work through some of these feelings, and I had my own uh, issues, and I, I Everybody handles pain in a different way. And yep. I think, you know, Archer tried to get vengeance and felt she could help in that way. Uh, some people may, you know, uh, start a support group or uh, go to church and be very religious or some people retreat and to drink. I had my own issues and I became anorectic when I was about 14 or 15 and it pretty much continued uh, through college. And it was my way of controlling a lot of my environment. When how did you How did you get through that? I know there many people would like to know that. You know, I I as I said, it lasted quite a number of years. I never got to the point where I had to be hospitalized or oh, wow. um, force fed. Almost I like that. you hit bottom in a sense. Yeah, I never had to get to that point. But I. When I went to law school, I had a great circle of friends and acceptance, and it just felt like I was emerging, and I didn't need to control that piece of my life anymore. And it didn't just evaporate, but gradually I developed just better eating ways. I didn't need to control everything around me to that extent, and I was able to recover, I really think, through having very close friends who accepted me as I was. And, and did support groups help you as well? Definitely, yes, definitely. Just knowing other people are going through what you're going through, 
um, is a help. And for Archer, her support group happened to be a vigilante support group. Um, she'd been to support groups of therapy, but that was the only one that helped her. And I think for her, it was um, helping people in her shoes feel like there was closure for the wrong Chris, how was she different from you, and how is she like you? Um, she has a lot of me in her. Uh, she's determined. She um, wants to write injustices. Um, she loves her animals uh, deeply. She feels strongly about family and connection, even though in her despair she cut those things off. Um, she's different in that uh, I think she's tougher. I think she, um, I would not go the vigilante route because I would, uh, I believe in the rule of justice, and if there's some mistakes, that's part of the process. So she's different from me in that way, but I do understand her feelings and I understand her outrage. Um, so there's a lot of me in her, but I have not done a hit. I have not whacked anyone. And uh, someone asked me that at one of my meetings. How do you know so much about guns and about hiding evidence and about, you know? Um, so that's different, but I did Well, you're also a, lot a lawyer. <laughs> I am a lawyer, and a lot of the legal, almost all of the legal situations in the book that I described where injustices occurred, almost every one, I can't think of any that weren't, were real, based on real cases. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, I mean, you were exposed to that, so it would make sense to me. Yes, I, yes, I was. And the um, the other thing that's interesting about the book is that it goes between some very romantic and um, engaging scenes with Connor and Archer to some thriller uh, scenes, which someone said, boy, I was surprised when there were these thriller scenes, but most people are seeming to like the the balance. So there, there was that. There was that yes. suspected romance that we were thinking about. Yes, yes. It's, it's. Uh, someone said to me, usually a thriller is more thriller than romance, and someone else said, yours is more romance than thriller. But I like the thriller aspects thrown in there. Yeah. So it's, you know, we all like reading different things, but yeah. uh, they seem to enjoy that that variety. Yeah, which is which is really great. Yeah. Well. Well, let's talk a little more about writing. You know, I mean, you are an attorney, and I'm sure this was very cathartic for you to write. Well, let's talk more about um, how you began the writing process. Was it difficult for you? What advice would you give to people who want to write their first novel? And sometimes writing a novel is harder than writing fiction. It, it can be difficult. I never had writer's block, but I certainly found some parts more difficult to write than others. I think that you need to start with, well, I had the idea. I knew the beginning and the end, and then it was a matter of filling in how I'd get, I'd get there. And the way I wrote was chronologically, um, a few of the paragraphs, a few of the, the um, chapters, I mean, were added afterwards. I inserted different areas when the editor felt that I needed more transition. Um, but I tended to have an outline and went and wanted each chapter to have a highlight in it. it I wanted each chapter to have something that advanced the story. And mm -hmm. that was how I wrote. I'd write and then I'd revise. Mm -hmm. All right. We're just about at the end of our interview. So what's your message for our listeners? What do you want our listeners to gain 
in terms of real positive and hopeful message from your novel, Tell Me When It Hurts. Uh, I think the message is there's always a second chance, and you have to look for it, and you will find it. There is great hope, and there is great healing. Oh, that's a wonderful message. Wonderful message. And, again, how can people find you and find your book? They can find my book at Amazon.com, and they can go to my website for events that are coming up, for reviews, for links to issues in the, in the book at, at uh, www.tellmewhenithurtsbook.com. Do you have any, like, chat rooms or any way that they can write to you, or do you have any blogs? Yes, I have a healing, I call it the healing blog, and people, they can write about anything that strikes them, but the theme of the healing blog is about how animals help you uh, connect, get through the day, um, heal, um, and experiences you've had with your animals in a healing sense. Mm-hmm. And that blog is right on there on my website. And the website again is? www.tellmewhenithurtsbook.com. Tell me when it hurts book.com. All right. Well, Christine, it's really been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, it really has. All right, folks, stay on the line. Folks, you can log on to tell me when it hurts book.com to Christine Whitehead. Uh, Christine Whitehead is the author of Tell Me When It Hurts. It's a wonderful novel and suspense and romance and all kinds of things. She's a graduate of Smith College and University of Connecticut Law School. She lives on a farm in the Hartford, Connecticut area with her dogs and horses and practices divorce law in Hartford. This is her first novel, and it's a great one. All right, folks, as I always say at the end of each show, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Write to me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com, and I'll put you on my e-newsletter list. I'd love to do that. Until next time, for Patricia Raskin Positive Living on voiceamerica.com, have a wonderful Monday and a wonderful week. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 